So uh, it's really good to um, to be here. And I was here just a few days ago for a, for a day long. Um, uh, and it's just it's just a, a kind of an honor, and it's fun to come into Cambridge. I lived here for many years of my life, and now I live in a slightly more rural area near Newburyport, Mass. And um, what I want to reflect on tonight, I think it's very appropriate as we just heard some some sirens go by or some honking. So, um, how many people struggle with uh, their bodies aging? Uh, their kind of not optimal health or or illness or just joints wearing out. And how many people have a have a relationship where they they're they have some fear or some uh, some worrisome attitude towards their own death or the death of others, or a relationship where somebody's died and that's really hard. It causes suffering and pain. So I would raise my hand for all of those. So the the Buddhist teaching is very interesting in that. Uh, they're oriented around the early Buddhist teachings are oriented around the Four Noble Truths. How many people have, are, are familiar with like the Four Noble Truths as a, as a core teaching? Okay, so there's the first one is suffering, right? And there's a a cause, and there's a possibility of freedom, and there's a path. But when we look at the first, and I'll be reflecting on um, on this the the part of the f- looking at suffering. Okay, uh, and these different aspects of suffering in particular that are revealed in the first noble truth in a way that I've always thought was kind of a downer. So when you look, and I, and I taught, I actually I taught uh, in university. I taught uh, Buddhism for about ten years academically and experientially in, in university a few a few miles from here. And uh, I, I remember when I like when I, you teach the first noble truth, you say there is suffering, right, or dukkha. It's this the wheel out of kilter. Something's wrong. And then when you get into the details, it says birth, old age, sickness, and death. And everyone's kind of like, oh, this is not really a great, this isn't, I don't come to spirituality for this, <laughs> right? Do we come to spirituality to, to, to like, we want to be happy, don't we? Don't we come, we want to, we want to expand our capacity for joy and, and connection, Peace. That's why, yeah, that's why I come. How many people were outside today and just, or the last few days, well, especially today was a great day. And you just were relaxing into the sense of being present and into the, into the, the invitation to be at home. And even it, like when the, when the, when it's warmer and not too warm, the sense of being home in our bodies, right? And home in our environment. And home in our minds and our hearts. So that's why we practice, isn't it? And that's 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 considered in the third. That's that's peace. That's peace. So often, when I know for myself, when I looked like academically, and if you look at it as a teaching, these 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 aspects of suffering, we don't really see them directly as gateways to. We see them as separate from freedom, don't we? Peace. If you were at ease today, you were probably at ease in your body. 
in a certain way, right? We're at ease in our minds and our hearts. So we often, we can set up this uh, quality in our minds where we think that when it's a good, when it's easy and relaxed, it's separate, it's different. It's a different place than the place of suffering, right? Doesn't it feel that way? It's more spacious, more at ease. So that's, and that's, it's all true. On one level, it's all true. And why the, the Buddhist teachings are often considered what's called against, against the stream or going against our habit energies of mind, which tend to actually split things off. And so we have a lot of resistance to just using these three, old age, sickness, and death, and, and all the emotional components of them and mental components and physical components. We have a reaction because they're, they're not pleasant and because we think that peace is somewhere else. And in a way, it is. So the Buddha spoke of in the Dhammapada, this early teaching of the Buddha, that the quality of our minds determines the quality of our experience of peace or lack of peace in life, the quality of our minds. So we think our minds are different than, say, our body that's aging, gets sick and dies, right? It's logical. Except the teachings are against the stream because they're actually asking us, and this is the radical and very beautiful invitation of the teachings, to find peace in the same place where they're suffering. Not in a separate place, but in the same place. Now, how can these two be, how, how can this be true if they're saying that peace is in the mind, but also peace is in the things that seem separate from peace of mind, right? Like a body that is not, for example, or difficult emotions. How is that possible? How can we turn our relationship to the stuff of our life and the aging, illness, death, and all the rest of it how can we turn our, the, the way that we use our minds so that we see these as actually not separate from peace? And that's what, our, that's what the, the practice actually is, is learning to, it, it's really learning to make that, make that um, shift. And as long as we don't really make that shift, then we'll have a split in our practice. I have a split in my practice. How many people like to get calm and in their minds and just go to a place that's peaceful and, and concentrated? Nothing wrong with that. Okay, good. <laughs> and it really feels separate, doesn't it? Doesn't it really feel separate? And then we come back and then it's like, oh, I'm not, not all the time, but you know, some of the time, right? So that's our, that's our reality. And, you know, I actually, I should stop right there because that, that, that's our reality, right? So if we explore this, we start to look into the kind of two aspects of the path. So as I'm explaining, I'm, I'm, there's, a, there's a quality that I'm trying to emphasize of, and we'll see how 
there's a unification of the splits that happen naturally in practice. So there's one part of practice now, when we do practice, when we work with our minds and our hearts directly, where we practice to get calm. And that does affect the body as well, doesn't it? But we practice for calm. And how do we do that? We get pretty focused, don't we? How many people watch the breath when they meditate? And sometimes it feels really good. It leads you into a good, steady place. And then we're in a little different realm, right? And then when we come out of that realm, the world's as it was, the word is the world is as it was, unless we can actually take that awareness, we can take that sense of the mind settling deeply, and we can more in a more sustained way recognize that natural functioning of awareness. That is when you're when you're concentrated, there's awareness there, isn't there? Can how many people can Tease that out. When you're concentrated, you know that you're actually really present. There's a quality of being present, then you know it. Right. And it's not just in Buddhist meditation. It's if you get absorbed in work, for example, or uh, even someone that goes for a long walk <laughs> or a bike ride or running. So there's, there's different ways that we access that. What we often do is we keep it there and then we keep it as a, it's a concentration practice and it feels good. And then we come out of it, we're out of it. What's the wisdom piece? What is wisdom? When that shifts into wisdom, what does wisdom do? Wisdom allows the energy that has calmed and that is recognizing now its, its ability just to know, just to know things as they are. So there's awareness, but we have to, and this is really an important place in practice, and this is what helps to unify the splits, when we start to actually recognize that within concentration, and you can actually taste it outside too, but within concentration, there's a flame of awareness that sees, that's more intimate, that's stable. How many people, can, if, you, if you reflect on your concentration, that there's some level of stability that's different than just the calm? So what if, if this becomes available through concentration and... A lot of the real wisdom teachings actually say that this, that there's an, a nature that we only tap through our practices that actually is not, it's not in the tech, it's not in any technique. We're actually tapping something that's, because we're clearing out all of the kind of stuff in our minds and hearts. We're clear, it's like we're clearing. Or one, one way of looking at it is when we don't follow our thoughts, when we don't get caught in our emotions and thoughts, our reactions then it allows the mind to settle. It means, and the, the settling is of the actual nature of the mind that, that, that is aware. So, and you can do, we can do that through, through working with objects, right? And we can do that through, as well, recognizing that there's a natural function that's happening. So I invite us as we listen, and this is a way to listen to Dharma reflections, to listen from the place of awareness or knowing. And there's a, there's a very, there's a, you can actually feel a shift when you're listening from your brain. <laughs> and when you, when you can relax your sense of being present so that you actually listen in a more full way. And you might notice even as you're listening that there's silence in your minds and in between words. Can anybody recognize that? That there's some silence functioning even as you're listening? Good. So this is, this is tuning into the, the kind of the crossover. It can be a place of steadiness that we can enjoy 
And for me, I went for a walk before I came in to do the talk. Um, and I was just enjoying the stillness that was evoked by being nourished by the environment and just being able to, to really just be, be in that continuity of attention that wasn't focused on anything except the sense of being open and recognizing the stillness. So we can do that through concentrating on things, but also we can learn over time to recognize that as just a natural functioning of the mind and the heart. So in either of these ways, when we do that, then the wisdom piece comes in both through a recognition that there's that sense of steadiness that's happening behind or that's happening as we're living, if we learn to recognize it through concentration and just through natural awareness. But it also changes our relationship to the stuff of our life. And that's the key. That's the important thing. So what is the, what is the kind of, what is the way through your own clear seeing that you let go of unnecessary suffering and you change your relationship, say, to the body and you have a, more, a healthier or a more fresh or more balanced relationship to, say, the body? What, what, what are we seeing into? What do we see into? What, what do we see in terms of the nature of the body or experience? We see that it's not so fixed, right? Doesn't it like even, don't we start to see flow of sensations? We start to see that there's movement within experience. And that the Buddha described this, this, this is the transition place, which on a, the level of objects is impermanence. It's impermanence. It's change. And this is where wisdom comes in because when we're, we're kind of locked into a fixed, a sense of separate self that things are happening to my body, to me. Emotions, difficult emotions are happening to a place which is having resistance because it's not pleasant. That's, that's, the, second, that's the, second, uh, the second noble truth. That this suffering, this level of suffering, which isn't just the sensation level, which can be pleasant or unpleasant, but the actual level of the mind and the heart is, is conditioned through resistance. And resistance is conditioned by a sense of separateness. And what is separateness based on? Not a deep, we don't have a deep relationship with actually seeing the arising and passing of experience moment by moment and the like the and it's 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 a nature of experience so even the depth of an emotion when you're in a concentrated state you want you won't be feeling that let's say a lot of grief you go someplace you get nourished right it's kind of often it's a positive kind of avoidance and then you come back and you're a little better place but that in itself is very different than seeing that any emotion in its fullness is change any pattern of sensation in the body whether it be pleasant or unpleasant is change and what is death death is pure change <laughs> isn't it it's it's the dissolution of a form right so wisdom is seeing into and it's not it's not so now it's not it's not bad news so this first noble truth and this sense of like oh old age sickness actually these are very powerful natural forces which are trying to teach us and ajahn Chah, um who is a great thai forest master i had that good fortune of sitting with um 
he said that the impermanence is the great ruler of the universe. And it's trying to teach us. It's actually the great teacher. But we, we really don't want to listen. We like really don't want to listen. So our practice, this is why it's against, that's why it's against the stream in a very deep way. It, it's saying you need to listen. You need to be skillful enough and train your heart and your mind and create the conditions so you can really listen deeply. But what, what happens when we listen deeply to change? This is the miracle, I would say, of the whole thing. When you listen deeply to change, then you start to listen at the same time to stillness and peace. When, if you've really seen change deeply, naturally, when the factors of, of, of seeing clearly are balanced and you see it, how can you see change clearly if you're attached? If you're creating a separation of me? Something's happening to something else. And that creates, that creates a, a fixedness. When we... When uh, to really see impermanence, the mind naturally is touching a quality of clarity and openness and stability right there at the same time. You can't see, you can't let go. So there's a teaching that if you let go from Ajahn Chah, again, if you let go a little, you get a little peace. If you let go a lot, you get a lot of peace. And if you let go completely, you get complete peace. Right? Except most people think letting go means getting rid of. It means, oh, I let go of it. Often it's mixed with aversion. It's mixed with... It's, letting go is actually a natural function of perceiving change. And this is the beauty of the practice of the mind that becomes more stabilized in its own nature of openness and stillness, where it doesn't even have to try to look. It sees everything arise and pass. Because it, it just, that's the nature of Vipassana. It's called special seeing. You just see things as they are. And the nature of every single thing is, is full. It's full in its emptiness. So hear the sound of the, the birds. Right? Each one has a birth, a movement, and it ends, and another one does. And each one is a miracle, and each one is full. But can you really hear the sound of a bird unless you're in a place where you can really hear the sound of a bird? Which means there's nothing between the hearing and the simple sense of knowing. There's no thoughts there, are there? Right? So that's the, you can, and actually the thing about Vipassana is you can see thoughts too. Because we're actually learning to touch a level of awareness that is prior to the thinking mind. Thoughts are often seen as being very oppositional, but hmm, are they? Is, is, are thoughts in your own experience oppositional to being present? I would say sometimes yes. A lot of the times yes, and sometimes no. How about you? How many people would say sometimes, you've seen sometimes that your mind can have thinking, but you're still still and aware. Right. And other times it feels like it's a battle. 
So in, in, in concentration practice, when you're intentionally trying to focus and get rid of something, it's a battle because you're, you're choosing one state over another. When awareness is naturally functioning, then there's, not, there's no oppositional energies. So as I'm speaking, I'm trying to point to this unification of both. And there's, there is a unification of concentration and wisdom that comes together. And that how we bring it into daily life, there's a great story from, um, and, and it was an enlightened king, supposedly an enlightened king, who in, in ancient Indian times, who had someone in the court who was a, a real meditator and went to the king and said, I, I want to, I want you to train me. And the king said, okay. So he said, okay. and in his mind, he's like, I'm going to train him in concentration. So he said, uh, in his life though, he said, take this, take this bowl, fill it with oil all the way to the top and put it on your head and walk around the palace. All through all the rooms and halls and go into different rooms and don't spill a drop. So he did. That's concentration. And then he said, what'd you notice? He said, I, I didn't notice anything. I was focused. <laughs> so he said, okay, go back and do it again. But then tell me about the gossip in that room and, or, you know, what the courtesans are saying and what the, right, the, what these people are saying and the ministers and tell me t what's, what's the gossip and what, give, give me some useful information, but don't spill the oil. So what does that take? That takes a, a focused mind, right? You can't, be, you can't be all over the place. So clear seeing isn't based on jumping around at things. That's often a misconception. You've got to stay stable, but you have to be open and sensitive and be receiving information, but being wherever it's coming from, right? But being stable at the same time. Now, it was really advanced. You'd probably send him out. That's the end of the story. <laughs> he'd, he'd send him out and he came back. He did it, right? And he came back and he told him. And then he's like, okay, good. He's, he's really, he has natural, natural ability. <laughs> you know, I'll train him. He's, 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 actually, that he was training him, right? <laughs> that is the training. <laughs> so then I guess there would be another level I thought of earlier when I was reflecting on, on, this, uh, on this evening. And the other level would be do all the same thing, but also be, be where someone's coming up to you and you might, and you have to also move and not spill the oil, right? So it's not just that this passive thing's happening because that's our, what our lives are like, isn't it? We need to stay stable. We have to need to take in information, but we also have to be responsive in a way because there are things that we, we're not anticipating that are coming at us, okay? So I want to read this. Uh, so that's, that's a unification, okay? And I think for all of us, each of us, a challenge, and maybe we'll talk about this more, there's a challenge in balancing the, the time that we spend focusing and the time that we spend being sensitive and open. And then how, and this is one practice that's very delightful, is awareness will help you to actually move in and out of different ways of being with our attention. So sometimes you might really get very absorbed in something, and that's totally appropriate. But then other times you might be really called to be very open, and you can start to feel a quality of sensitivity that's both stable and sensitive, right? And it can go in, and it can come out. And 
how many people do different styles of practice where you sometimes do the breath like in a narrow way and you sometimes practice very open, like open choices, awareness, whatever. Good. So that that's a practice. And often that's that's like we do that intentionally, right? But over time, it becomes more of awareness is leading it. Because in the stable mind that is perceiving clearly, there is an kind of intelligence. There is a kind of intelligence. And that intelligence is, is, there's a deep level of that intelligence when we can see into uh, peace in the midst of, that's where it comes from, in the midst of the actual stuff of our life. Okay, so I was using the example of, of, of the struggles in our body and our emotions with these three very large and permanent factors of, of, of our life cycle. Old age, sickness, and death, right? And the life cycle of everybody on the planet. So I want to read this quote from Ajahn Chah and just reflect on it a little bit, which I think is quite, um, quite beautiful in terms of what I've been, what I've been speaking of. It says, peace is within oneself to be found in the same place as suffering. It's not found in a forest or a hilltop, nor is it given by a teacher. Where you find suffering, you can also find freedom from suffering. Trying to run from suffering is actually running towards it. So in a way, that's what I've been speaking to, isn't it? So I'll just break this down a little bit with each one. Peace is within oneself. So that means that means it's within the, the Buddha said there's what he called the fathom long body. I don't know. It's, it's, I guess it was about six feet or something. I'm not sure. Um, give or take, right? That the, the, the birth of suffering and the end of suffering is found here. And it, it means the body and as well as the senses that are functioning through the body, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and in the functions of the mind, okay, the, the brain. They're happening here. So suffering and its end are found right here. So the teachings are inward in a certain way, right? Yeah, you go inward. So found in oneself, that's what he's saying. But at the same time, how we experience is not inward or outward. I hope this isn't too, <laughs> it's not meant to be philosophical. So right now I am separate from you and you're separate from me, but we're actually, the moment of perception is only happening in our minds. Without our mind, without perception ability here, there's not, there's, there's no knowing. So that's the way, that's the way the teachings are framed. Okay. So it's not an ontological, it's not like an ontological debate. It's our knowing of the world and our knowing of our inner, our inner reactions and relationships to the world. They're actually of the same stuff. So when you say ourself, it actually means what's happening in our relation to experience, but, but it's also the actual raw experience. So there's a, so, so the world is happening, always unfolding in the present moment. Okay, and the world and suffering and its end are, are discoverable right here, right here in this moment through the senses. Okay, through through awareness in the senses. So it's found in oneself, but oneself isn't separate in the way we often think it is. The next one is uh, to be found in the same place as suffering. So this I've been speaking of it in terms of awareness, but there's also a respect for 
there's a respect for the power of clear seeing to transform stuck energy into, into energy that's useful and free. So Thich Nhat Hanh has a really beautiful uh, book that's called uh, no, no Mud, No, no Lotus. And it speaks, so it, it means when, if you don't have mud, right? That's decom decomposition of physical matter. That, then that was a lotus, and a lotus right, could have in the past, decomposing into the stuff that new lotus grows out of, okay? So the same way our suffering, when we see into clearly, directly into experience, then what was separate and, we, and resistant becomes, it's like it's frozen. When, when we feel old and we're, we constrict, do we constrict against the unpleasant sensations? I do. We're sick. There's a constriction that happens. It's like there's a frozen energy. So what, what the warmth of awareness does, the clear seeing does, is that it freezes, not, the sensations are still there, but it freezes, the re, it, it thaws, excuse me, the reaction to that. And what happens then? What happens in the body? What happens in the mind? When the seeing energy permeates what's being seen, what happens? It transforms. And it transforms through clear seeing of impermanence on the level of letting go, but it also just gives more energy. And anyone who's seen, anyone who's been touched by deep emotions and they've really moved, they know this. They know impermanence. They know a stuckness. We all, what's letting go? We hold on and then we're no longer holding. And all that energy, all that bottled up water, all that frozen, however you want to put it, that just gets, that gets transformed. And I like the lotus and the mud because what comes out of that? New life, right? And that's the thing that when we don't see, impermanence is an expression of growth just as much as it's death and, and decay. Everything that's growing is impermanent too. <laughs> but it's, so it's, it's saying suffering is found in the same place as peace. That's the light and the dark the pleasant and the unpleasant they're happening we have to, we look into we look into the nature of what we consider separate and they're just they're just different energies functioning so awareness peace and constriction that's what that's what our that's what our practice really is is starting to melt kind of melt the frozenness of those so it's to be found in the same place of suffering and then he's just saying, like, it's not found on a hilltop or a forest. Well, I think that's a good place to go for a while. <laughs> Except when I was a monk, I remember I, I was doing some intensive concentration practice way out in the jungle in Thailand and with my teacher. And um, there was this gecko. Do you know what a gecko is? A gecko. <laughs> it's this little lizard. And I was off, way off in the jungle, and I had this little building all to myself, and I'm like, I'm going to get so, con I'm going to break through. I'm going to get so concentrated. And I was getting pretty concentrated. And then this little, this little lizard, it wasn't little, it was like 12 inches, it would get right up above me, and it would just go, gecko, gecko, and it kept breaking my concentration. And I got so angry, because I was so attached. <laughs> I didn't know about awareness practice then. I knew about concentration practice. <laughs> 
I was so attached to this, to this form of, I was going to, in other words, I was going to a mountain to get peace and I didn't find it. <laughs> so that happened, that can happen. <laughs> That's all I can say. And if you find it, uh, it, he said it's not found in a forest or a hilltop. It can be helpful to get away, but it's not the same thing. And then he says, it's nor is it given by a teacher. So the most classic example of this is the Kalama Sutta, which is, which is uh, just the Buddha saying you have to practice and you have to rely on your own, you have to rely on your own wisdom when you receive instructions. You have to test something, but you don't go on blind faith. You don't go, it, it, you don't, you don't go by rep, reputation, by blind faith. Um, you don't go because a friend told you this guy's great, that per, or that woman is great, great teacher. You have to surrender. You go because you actually have enough openness and you try what they're saying. And then if it works, you stay with it. But if it doesn't, so there, the, the Kalamas were saying to the Buddha who was passing through, a lot of spiritual teachers were saying, why should we listen to you? And he said, a good question. Listen to me enough to really practice, to try it. And then if you find that it's helpful, treat it like gold because anything that helps, really deeply helps the quality of living, right? So this schema of the Four Noble Truths of concentration and, and the innate capacity to see clearly, see through experience, see into its nature, that reveals more silence and more clarity. So that's he's saying these are teachings, right? Practice the ethics, the kindness that supports all of this. He's here, try it. And so if it works for you, treat it like gold. If it doesn't work, great. Try and don't give up your search, just try something else. So uh, so you're not doing anything blindly. But the, the balance is you have to give it energy. You have to, and, we, and we know that in our practice, we have to give enough energy, don't we? We have to have enough stick to to get the results. Uh, and then the last one I want to reflect on is, well, trying to, run from, trying to run from suffering is actually running to it. There's an old Sufi story of a, a, uh, a man who heard that uh, death was coming to a village and he was elderly and he wasn't in great shape and he was afraid of death. So what he did is he thought that death was coming from the west, and so he, he just took off as fast as he could to the east. He didn't want to get caught by death. Well, of course, death was coming from the east and ran to, into him on the road and said, oh, whatever his name was, oh, I, I, you shouldn't be here. I wasn't expecting you so soon. But now that you're here, So this is the energy. This is, the, this is actually what the teachings are pointing to. So it's not, is that don't turn from what, what is coming. And the thought that death might be coming, the thought that old age might be coming, the thought that sickness might be coming, because we have a hereditary condition or because we're just in the thought that death might be coming. Well, it is, but it might be, because it's not here now. All of those things, they're useful information. So we have to treat them as information and work with them. Okay, that's what it is. It, that's like the, 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 the that's like the uh, meditator with the oil, going through and picking up data and finding out and, and getting data and then using that data to live as well as they can. So we don't ignore the signals. We don't not prepare. But we don't. We recognize the difference between 
the energy of, of the resistance, which is running away from, and then the power, which causes more suffering, right? Doesn't it? Don't we get anxiety and fear? And when we have loss, we can feel it, but then we get caught in the, the thoughts and it just go, we have a lot of vicious cycles in our minds that aren't, to feel them is fully human. To be able to feel the authenticity at any moment is fully human. But to get lost in how we perpetuate a kind of reactivity that cuts us off from the reality of life in the moment, that's, that's what the Buddha was pointing at, that we can come out from underneath this level of suffering through seeing into not just suffering, not just old age sickness and death. What's the opposite of those? Birth, the joy, birth, what? Baptism, health, actually, okay, so birth, health, <laughs> and life, right? So we're, when, we, when we're looking at these, we're only, look, we're only, it's pointing there because it's saying, hey, don't ignore this. But every, every, when there's dark, there's light. Everything has its other side. And the Buddha's teachings are to see, is to be with things exactly as they are. And it's just pointing us that if you don't look at the full picture, you can't become free because it all has the same characteristics. It all has the same nature. So when we do run, when we do get caught up, when we do freeze in relation to experience, right? Then we have skills and we have tools to try to work with it. Which is what our path is. And part of that is concentration. But a bigger path, a bigger part, I would say, that concentration supports in the wisdom path is that we want to meet our life fully. So if we were looking at in terms of the uh, old age, sickness and death, then we want what is it to what is it to or or birth, <laughs> health, life? What is it to live those qualities now? Like what right now, if you feel who feels a little cranky in your body? Just a little bit. I do. A little bit. Just a little, you can go tone in on some area, right? How is it to be with that experience now? Just how no, that's that's what it's pointing to. How is it? We're not dead, so how is it to be alive now? Just it's not even a quality. I say that and people are like, eh, it's a, yeah. <laughs> That's, I'm trying to go to the place of <laughs> awareness, knowing experience as it is, and that's and that's and I'll, and I'll finish the reflection with um, it's it's called the uh, the the Bahia Sutta, which is it, it's the expression of the freedom, and it takes all of life into account. So what it says in the, in the scene, there's only the scene, in the herd, only the herd. In the felt, only the felt. And it also goes on to say in the emoted, like what you feel in an emotion or a thought, there's just that. And when there's just that, there's no concept of, there's no concept of you that's separate from the object. There's no you, the literal translation is there's no you. Separate per me. In 
here in the in the subject and there's no there's no relationship that's based on separation so there's no it says there's no you here there's no you there and there's no sense of i that's being created in our minds that's in between so what's left the raw naked experience of awareness meeting life in all its forms so that's the sensitivity that's stable being touched by life so everything becomes a mind, like a mindfulness bell all of it it's all it's all a little wake up call it all reminds us through its natural expression of this natural expression which is an aware being that doesn't need to have a fixed center it doesn't need to be focused on the brain as a separate as a separate part it's part of the whole it's part of that that which is functioning within the natural awareness so this and the, so the buddha just describes that's a very elaborate way of speculating the buddha just said this just this is the end of suffering right so it's just the moment so we find it so we start by saying okay we have to look at these difficult things but we also have to look at the positive things and we have to be sensitive to see all things from the place that really sees and that's our that's our path so um so i want to thank ajahn chah uh, for his teachings and the buddha and bahia and everyone for for listening and for i hope you were practicing a bit was anyone practicing with this as you were moment by moment awareness trying bring coming back to this good good and could you feel the diff could you feel the difference between say feeling a breath or feeling your seat or feeling coming back to being present and the natural sense of being present just the natural interest and awareness and alertness good so they're all part of it and i, I thank you because this is just an exploration and uh, that's all we're doing it's just an ex- we're like i think we're we're kind of experimenting in how we can use this this miracle of our attentional skills to help us with the quality of living that's really what it is and there's a kind of infinite we can keep learning very deeply i guess i am finishing with a different story but <laughs> there's a very deep learning that happens when we when we take on the places of suffering not just old age sickness and the inevitability of death and all of the all of the different emotions that get wrapped around that in our experience and in ourselves in relation to others so there's that but there's also just the abs- it's the the other side but it's not the other side is a beautiful day and now the cool breeze of the evening right that the invitation is that we go we we bring our full care and attention into this quality of living and learning from the place of awareness so it's not just, it's not so much a technique in the end it's not a technique in the end it's a way of being it really is there's no you can't and and the the bahya sutta there's no separation in that you don't make a thing out of it either you don't say oh it's one no that's the concept right we're we're living and we start to live more now by now by now um so ending with basho who who basically he, he had a beautiful poem and he said uh, he was training young artists and he said go to the pine if you want to learn about the pine or the bamboo if you want to learn about the bamboo 
And in doing so, you must leave your preoccupation with yourself. That's that separate calculating non-aware, right? You must leave your preoccupation with yourself. Otherwise, you impose yourself on the object and you don't learn. So it's just a way of saying, you can't, we have to get out of our own way. And awareness is the way to do that. So then he goes on and says, when you do, then you'll see deeply enough into an object. He said, where there's, he said there's a, a little glimmer, there's a hidden glimmering there. And that's just pointing, it's just a poetic pointing to the fact that peace is not outside the present moment experience. Whether we label that as suffering or happiness or anything else, it's, it has to be found only in the present moment with things exactly as they are. Okay. So let's have a moment of silence. May the fruits of our practice, our willingness to live and learn with all the aspects of our life, to be fresh. And may our practice truly be a benefit to the quality of our own life, of those in our lives, and in the interdependent web of life that we all inhabit to all beings everywhere. May we and all beings be safe, be happy, and be free. Okay, thank you for listening. I'd like to thank everybody and uh, have, have a very good evening. Uh, and uh, okay, that's it. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.